Welcome to the Rocky Mountain Freedom Zone podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Williams. If you want to follow the podcast on Facebook, do a search on Rocky Mountain Freedom Zone and the Facebook page will pop right up. If you want to follow the podcast on X, True Social, and Gitter, search for at RKY Freedom. That's at RKY Freedom. Also, this podcast now has a hashtag called RKY Freedom. Therefore, if you want to comment on something I had said during this podcast or written about on social media, use the hashtag RKY Freedom. If you have a suggestion or think I should interview a guest, then email me, Rocky Mountain Freedom Zone at protonmail.com. That's Rocky Mountain Freedom Zone at P R O T O N M A I L.com. Thank you for listening to the Rocky Mountain Freedom Zone podcast. If you are looking for a fun, quirky, mystery, family-friendly adventure, then The World Maker's Assistant may be the book for you. Set in another galaxy, it will have you wondering why Play-Doh, paint, and glue are some of the ingredients on a beloved baking show who's piloting the elusive planet-destroying ship, and if V, the main character, will find her place in the galaxy. If this is your kind of story, visit Amazon.com or OlympiaPublished.com and search for The World Maker's Assistant by Cheryl Olson. Folks, I've read this book and found it very addicting. As a matter of fact, I didn't want to put it down. And you know what? I'd much rather have my teenage or young adult son or daughter read a book like this than a lot of other books out there. So go check out The World Maker's Assistant on Amazon.com or OlympiaPublished.com today. Brian Hyde was my guest on this episode of the Rocky Mountain Freedom Zone podcast. Brian has been my guest before, but because of a very important update pertaining to Ammon Bundy, I brought Brian back on. In order to really understand this episode as it pertains to Ammon Bundy, you need to go back and listen to episode three, The Medical Kidnapping of Baby Cyrus. Brian and I first discussed briefly a project that he is involved in, and then we shift gears to podcasting. I know that I've talked about podcasting on here before and how it's the way of the future, but I also thought it was good to hear Brian Hyde's perspective since he's not just a podcaster, but he's also been a radio veteran for almost 40 years. Then we discussed the issues pertaining to Ammon Bundy and how he is relocated. But one very important aspect that we discussed at the end of this episode, check your sources pertaining to Ammon Bundy. Don't believe everything the mainstream press is telling you, and yes, even some of the alternative media such as Fox News. I give a perfect example of how that happened back in 2020. There is a link in the show notes that you can read what's happened with Baby Cyrus and Ammon Bundy going clear back to March 11, 2022. Buckle up and enjoy the ride. Well, Brian, it's great to have you on the podcast again. How have you been? Thanks, Kevin. I've stayed very busy, much like I'm sure you have as well. Do you want to talk real quick about your project that you're doing or not? Um, I can give you just kind of a quick, uh, yeah, uh, quick overview. But uh, I, yeah, I've been you don't have to f- tell us everything. I understand. You, you, you just tell us what you want to. Yeah, I, you don't have. To I've been writing everything. for years, and I've st- and over the last year, particularly, I've been producing a a small podcast called uh, Hide in Plain Sight. I have teamed up with my friend Russ Anderson, and we are launching the Sovereign Biped, which is part of my Substack, and uh, we are basically providing information for anybody who really wants to claim ownership of their life, but is waiting for the right moment or for permission or for whatever 
We have the the skills to teach them about how to take authority for your life and and be a truly excellent person. And it's it's a really exciting project. Oh wow. Okay. Now are you going to go into other endeavors like how to be a good podcaster or anything like that? You know, there there are some aspects of, you know, getting your voice out there once you've decided that, uh, you know, you, you've found a purpose in life, not just a purpose, but your purpose. And for some people that may include podcasting. And yes, we will cover, you know, some of the how-tos, how to self-publish, you know, as far as um, digital content. But But the main thing is just helping people realize nothing changes until you make the decision that I am the authority in my life. And by the way, I don't want to make it sound like, you know, uh, I am the law, you know, Judge Dredd style. You are the authority in your life. And with God's help, you can make your life into so much more than, than what it currently is. That's kind of how we approach it. Well, let me tell you this, and then we're going to get on to the main topic. I know that I guess I, I went to SUU, as you know, Southern Utah University. I was on the phone with the general manager of KSUU, the radio station down there at Southern Utah University, and he told me that they now have a class to where they teach you how to be a better podcaster because students want that, and I'm just sitting here thinking, I don't know why you need a class. A mentor would be great. But then again, I'm contradicting myself because I'm glad I had a textbook on how to be a good broadcaster. So what do you think? Am I talking out of both sides of my mouth here or what? I think, and I could be wrong, but I think that uh, the reason that they are offering that class is because money. <laughs> That's what I think. Could be. I mean, I mean it's, it's, a, it's a great way to make some money, to monetize something that people want to learn. But your point still stands, Kevin, and that is if you really want to become an excellent podcaster, there are lots of mentors and people out there who will gladly show you how to do it. And some of them will charge you for it. But, uh, you know, I'm sure I'm sure like an educational institution, SUU looked at it and said, yeah, we could make money on that. Well, the sad thing is you're probably right. I just don't – now in broadcasting, I had no mentor, so I'm glad I got the experience at SUU. But just knowing what I know about podcasting, I just don't see why you need to go to college to be a good podcaster, especially since, at least for the time being, it's all self-published until the podcasting world becomes like radio stations and companies have to hire you. Do you think we'll ever get there where – It'll be monopolized. Think, oh, go ahead. To me, the key beauty of of podcasting is its decentralized nature. Um, I've, I've worked I've worked in radio for the better part of the last forty years, and so I've seen a lot of consolidation, and then of course the breakup of consolidation, and and basically radio looks nothing like it did. I, it pains me to say this, Kevin, and and I know you love radio as well. It's a dying industry. It is, and and so. I would encourage people don't don't look to radio for for a way to you know further the podcasting world. Um, I think we're going out into new territory. This is the new frontier, and I don't even know where all it will lead. I just know that uh, I interact with people because of the podcast that I do that goes way way further than any terrestrial radio signal could take them. Well, let me tell you this, and we're going to get to the main topic main topic, but I think this is important. I started my podcast back in May. I think it was May 24th is when I released the first episode. 
my podcast for me has gone beyond just podcasting. It has now turned into networking. Do you, have you noticed the same thing? I can't be the only one who this has happened to. Oh yeah. No, I th- I think done correctly. That's, that's part of what the beauty of, of podcasting is it puts you into the orbit of other people and it puts other people in your orbit. I don't have all the pieces to the puzzle, but I'm more than happy to connect up with those who do have pieces that can help me, you know, see a more complete picture of, of what's going on in the world around us. Well, yeah. And this will get us to our great topic here. We're going to talk about Ammon Bundy because we've got an update, but since we're on the topic of podcasting, my worst fear is the government's going to come in and censure and uh, censor us and take us all down. And you think, and you could be right, that there's going to be another way around this. Uh, a good example. This isn't podcasting, but a good example along the same principles. Freedomman.org has recently been taken down. Freedomman.org is the website that's owned by Diego Rodriguez. And by the way, mm-hmm. You need to go to episode three, the listener, you, the listener, need to go to episode three to find out exactly what we're talking about. So we're kind of continuing episode three here about Ammon Bundy. And we're going to talk about Diego Rodriguez. So this is a perfect way to spring, uh, to jump off into our topic here. But freedomman.org has been taken down by the government, which I never, ever, ever, ever thought the government would censor the internet ever. Uh, until well, 2000, it's it's a court order. It's pursuant to a court order. But my understanding, there are also uh, some different versions. Like in other words, it, where where it was uh, peoplesrights.org. Now it's peoplesrights.net. So I don't know if they've shut them well, all. Yeah, down, I was but- going to say it's uh, it's now freedomman.ws, which leads into my question. Which uh, you might be right. Uh, I know you think that the government's going to try to shut us down, and you know. Spotify may shut me down or whoever, but you seem to think that there's always going to be a way around it. We don't, I mean, we don't know, but uh, let, let's just say that you're right. What do you think is going to happen? Let's say you and I say something the government doesn't like or some special interest group, we're shut down. What What do we do? This is where the innovation of uh, the, the freedom-minded community comes in. And, and I'll give you an example of, of- what that looks like. What are they trying so hard to shut down right now, or at least gain control of on the financial side, anything blockchain or cryptocurrency related. In fact, I think I saw, um, I'm trying to remember now if it was an actual member of the federal reserve, or if it was just like a a secretary, an undersecretary of the treasury, but he was going on this week about, well, you know, uh, the only people who use cryptocurrency are people who have something to hide. They're laundering money, or maybe they're, they're dealing drugs or they're, they're committing crimes, but they need that secrecy. And I think, yeah, you know what they also use, they use cash. They use actual American currency in cash for that same privacy. But the underlying premise that he's getting at is if, if the government doesn't know what you're spending your money on or every dime you're earning, somehow you must have something to hide. And that's not true. So I look at, you know, talk about, you know, a guy who didn't understand blockchain. If he's saying it's just a clearinghouse for illegal acts, he has no clue why so many people have moved toward cryptocurrency. It's not the value of the currency. It's the security security of the system and the ability to make peer-to-peer transfers without any kind of middleman, bank, or government official having to give their permission. 
Well, okay. So how come Starbucks then is accepting Bitcoin? Is the government in charge of Bitcoin? That's what I would have asked. No, sec- no they're not. And, and, and Starbucks, you know, for whatever faults they may have, you know, trying to be woke, they're very smart to be accepting cryptocurrency. And there are other businesses that, in fact, there are increasing numbers of businesses that do this all the time. But okay. the, the key is you can hold on to those that uh, that encryption key for your wallet. And as long as you actually hold that key, you're not trusting it to some third party. Government has no idea of how to access your account. And, and that frustrates people who have control issues. So when the secretary of Treasury says people use cryptocurrency because they have something to hide. I would ask him, OK, does Starbucks have anything to hide? Does Southwest have anything to Good hide? Point. Right. Yeah. There are very legitimate businesses out there. I mean, look, there are businesses out there that do cash-only business. Case in point, the snow cone shack that sets up in the parking lot of the local grocery store every summer. They primarily do cash. And it's really? for ease of operation. Yeah. And it's it's nothing nefarious. It's not like, oh, yeah. And then they send it off to the cartel who launders it. No. It's just easier for them to handle cash than it is to, you know, have teenage kids trying to swipe cards and keep track of the digital stuff. Now, the digital stuff is becoming easier and easier to do, and convenience is probably what's going to usher us into some kind of central bank digital currency if we if we actually get there. But, you know, well, that's another topic for another day. Yes, yeah, so, so let's just bring this back full circle here to Diego Rodriguez, and then we'll spring off into Ammon Bundy, jump off into him. Um, So Freedom Man, I mean, you talk about innovation. You're not wrong. Um, because freedomman.org was taken down by a court order. And then you brought up innovation, which is true. uh, People are being innovative. Good uh, case in point here, the freedomman.org website is now freedomman.ws, meaning website. Yep. Now, I don't know all the ins and outs. I'm not going to pretend to know. haven't talked to Diego, but I understand that Diego has – forked his rights over to, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I'm just hearing Diego's words here on our podcast. Uh, Diego has um, basically forked his rights over to some other folks. I assume Diego's still publishing. I don't know the details, but the bottom line is the website is on foreign servers. So supposedly, and I, I say supposedly, this country has no jurisdiction. Of course, they could always tell us, oh, we can't go to the website and make the the ISPs block it. It's on um, the dark web? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, no, I don't um, know any of the particulars about uh, about what Diego has, has done. I'm grateful that there are outlets, you know, whereby you can you can do workarounds through VPNs and so forth. Um, I just, I think back to the, to the old, uh, Firefly movie, Serenity, and and the the line that keeps coming to mind is you can't stop the signal. Meaning, if there's a truth that needs to be published, the signal is still going to be going out there, and somebody is going to find a way to do it. And and as as empires normally like to do, they like to control that because narratives can be damaging to to their aspirations. So it doesn't surprise me to see that uh, in this case, the evil empire of of Saint Luke's and and their cronies. You know, trying to shut this down. After all, the truth is making them look really bad in the case of baby Cyrus. Yeah, so let's talk about that. That a, That's a perfect segue to jump into this topic. 
Ammon Bundy is now on the run, and I feel comfortable saying this. I actually found out the night before Thanksgiving, but I didn't want to say anything because it wasn't made public, and I didn't want to be the irresponsible podcaster. And so I asked uh, some close friends of Ammon, should I even talk about this? And they said, well, under these circumstances, yes. Otherwise, no. But now it's been made public, so we can talk about it. What's happening now? Now, to bring everybody up to speed, I don't believe I covered this in Episode 3 of the Rocky Mountain Freedom Zone podcast, but to bring everybody up to speed, um, St. Luke's, or or I guess there was a civil lawsuit, and Ammon was supposed to show up, but he didn't, and by law, he didn't have to in Idaho. So he agreed to pay the fifty grand that he owed, which is fine. Well, he and, if oh, if they had if the judge had followed the law, him not showing up to that to that original civil suit, not answering to it, she should have entered a default judgment. And at the time, the maximum fine would have been, or the the judgment against him would have been around fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, and he did he did the math and said, you know, for what I could hire attorneys to represent me and fight this in court, keeping in mind that St. Luke's immediately started burying him in filings and motions and papers that were delivered that have to be answered. Um, you know, they were conducting lawfare, legal warfare to try to, uh, to bankrupt him as quickly as possible. So rather than hire a team of attorneys and spend hundreds of thousands of dollars, he says, I'll just have the judge enter the default judgment, pay that and we'll be on our way. But she didn't do that. And by leaving the complaint open, then the, the plaintiffs, St. Luke's and their law firm Holland and Hart, amended that complaint at least four times. And in the end, when it did go to trial, the jury said, yeah, we'll give you, was it 52 or $56 million? Oh, yeah, okay. And so Ammon owes that. There's no way he can afford it. By the way, let me tell you something about Ammon. I said this in episode three. I'll say it here again, and I'll expand. I met Ammon. Actually, let's go back even further. 2019, I believe it was December t- or September 10th, 2019, I believe is what it was. Yes, it was. I went to the Bundy Ranch, and I spent five hours out there, approximately. And when I went into their house for lunch, Clive had made a very good spicy hamburger. So good, it didn't need all the trimmings. I just ate it plain. And... I really felt a very good spirit there. And by the way, uh, Cliven's wife, Carol, makes superb apple pie. Never had apple pie that good before. And I'm not even a fan of apple pie that much, but I really loved hers, probably because all the apples were fresh. But nonetheless, there is, I'm sure you notice this too, Brian. I, th- I think you've been to their house. The spirit of God is very strong in there, don't you think? Oh, they're, they are great people. And yeah. what's sad is most people who know about them only know what has been told to them by a very hostile media or uh, various enemies within government agencies or, in, in this case, you know, the, the lawyer firm that was hired by a healthcare giant. Now, there's one place I, I have to disagree with you gently here. Um, I don't think Ammon is on the run. I know that's kind of the narrative that's been put out to the, the Idaho media is talking, oh, he's on the run. You know, it makes it sound like, well, he's guilty of some kind of wrongdoing. He's a fugitive. He's not. Okay. He's a he's a guy who is being hounded and being pushed into a corner and I presume this is deliberate in the hopes that they can, you know, provoke some kind of a fatal confrontation between 
him and law enforcement. Oh, I and agree. What, what, that, yes. What Ammon communicated to me, and this was right around Thanksgiving time when, when I learned that he and his family actually had moved, was he just simply said, it is too dangerous to stay in Idaho. And I, and I believe that. I think they're, they're working up a Lavoie Finicum type solution for him where there's some kind of a confrontation and there's no margin for error and anything, any, you know, he twitched and, well, I was in fear for my life. We had to kill him, you know, can be justified to take him out of the picture. Yeah. So the way I understand this, Brian, and correct me if I'm wrong, I guess he was supposed to show up to court a few weeks ago, about what, five, six weeks ago. And I, because of the way that he was treated in court, he knew that he wasn't going to get a fair trial. And so that's when he moved, correct? We'll just say he picked up a move. Uh, that's he relocated. Probably, yeah, yeah, he relocated. He's, he's not running from justice. And the no. judge did file a contempt charge against him for failing to show up to her kangaroo court. And I don't hesitate to call it a kangaroo court. There's no way he was going to get a fair hearing, even in the civil case when it did go to trial in front of a jury. I, I have the screenshots right here in front of me. The jury members, every single jury member, there, almost every single jury member either worked in healthcare or had a spouse that worked in healthcare, many of whom actually worked for St. Luke's. So tell me that there wasn't something going on there in terms of let's pick a jury that's going to be as sympathetic as possible. That's why the jury actually awarded even more than what Holland and Hart, St. Luke's law firm, was asking for. Yeah. So the way I understand this is uh, Ammon relocated. And I understand now, according to some sources that I've read, usually when you relocate in a situation like Ammon's, they don't come after you in other states because my understanding is legally they can't generally. But now I guess they did something to where law enforcement can get him in any state. Is Have you heard that? I had not heard that. I mean, you know, if I, I don't know what they've have they issued a be on the lookout for. Have they issued an all points bulletin? Um, there, there would have to be a warrant for his arrest. And I believe that uh, there has been a warrant filed in Idaho on a contempt charge with $250,000 bail. Yeah, that seems to and fit. That's I mean, heavy. That's, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, it's like they're dealing with, you know, some cartel figurehead instead of a guy who just said, I'm not going to show up for a court that I know is never going to give me a fair hearing. Yeah. So where do you think this is all going, Brian? Do you think Ammon's going to survive this? Uh, what do you think? Where do you think this is headed? Do you have any idea? I have absolutely no clue how it all ends, but I will say based on my experience with the Bundy family and, and with my friendship with Ammon, he is a man who takes very seriously um, his commitment to being obedient to God. Yes, and, he does. And, I mean, he, he puts his faith first and foremost in his life, and I have seen him delivered from much more impossible situations than this. I mean, like, had a front row seat to watch the, the full weight and might of the United States government lined up against him and his family members, and it seemed like a slam dunk. They were going to go away for, for several lifetimes worth of prison sentences. And then the hole that was dug, the pit that was dug for the Bundy family to be trapped in, instead captured the people who were trying to set them up and the case was dismissed with prejudice and and I watched them walk free and there was no doubt that it was God's hand that that helped 
bring them back to their freedom. So I would say as, as long as, as Ammon is still a man of faith, I would, I would, I, it's hard to, hard to bet, you know, when you're not supposed to be, you know, gambling here, but I would, I would bet on him every time that, uh, that with God on his side, this thing is not over. You know, the, the best they can do is kill the man at which point they have, have solidified him as someone who really believed what he, what he lived like Lavoie Finnicum. Um, some people still hate Lavoie almost universally. That's people who've never met him. Same thing with Ammon. The people who hate him the hardest have never met him. But to the people who know him, that would galvanize him as it has galvanized Lavoie in a lot of people's minds as a, a true, you know, martyr to the cause of freedom. Yeah, and it's sickening how the media is betraying Ammon or anybody, especially when you and I have met him. And I remember watching certain aspects of that trial. We're lucky that Matt Shea blew the whistle. And yep. if it wasn't for, you know, I believe God was using Matt Shea. If he had not blown the whistle, what do you think would have happened? That's really what um, things it was, went south for the well, government. Larry, Larry Wooten, who was the, the Bureau of Land Management whistleblower who had been blowing the whistle on Dan Love, the agent in charge of the operation to steal the Bundy's cattle, um, he, he was operating from a position of, look, I don't care for the Bundy's. I don't agree with the Bundy's, but I can't sit back and watch this kind of wrongdoing taking place, you know, and not say something about it. And, of course, he was... Uh, he was punished for it. He was demoted and otherwise, you know, discouraged from going public with it. But it looks like Todd Engel, I think I saw this last week, Todd Engel has filed a lawsuit in conjunction with the weaponization of government agencies against him and others. And he is going to have the chance to depose not only Dan Love, but also Larry Wooten. And boy, I bet a lot of stuff comes out in that deposition. Who is Todd Engel? I've heard that name. Todd was was present at uh, Bundy Ranch back in 2014, and I can't remember if he was also part of the uh, Malheur Wildlife Refuge occupation. I, I apologize. I, I've only uh, you know I've only met Todd through his association with the Bundys, but he's a stand-up guy. You know, he spent the better part of two years in prison. You know, waiting to to go on trial. During that time. People stole his property, stole everything that he had in the state of Idaho. I think actually the federal government took it away, and he had to start from scratch. But he has rebuilt his life. He's a good man, and and I'm happy to see that he's going to have a chance to hold some people accountable. Okay, so he does live in Idaho. I, th I thought he lived in Montana or something. I think he's in northern Idaho. If, if I'm not no, mistaken. You're probably right. I know there is somebody in Montana, too, that had something to do with this. It, but anyway, back to the point being is, uh, yes, the uh, the Bundy family is very resilient. Now, I don't know what uh, the other, what Clive or what uh, Ammon's siblings think of all this, uh, but I do want to talk, uh, I know you have limited information, but I do want to talk about Lisa. How do you think she's holding up? She has posted a couple of things on social media that uh, I think would, would not surprise anybody about how difficult it is. You know, I mean, it's, we can talk about, well, I would do this different and I would do that different. But if you haven't actually had your neck on the line, you might want to shut up and, and, you know, really try to put yourself in, in somebody's shoes. Have you had people, total strangers, hate on you and wish for your family's destruction, wish for your death, who rejoice when your home is taken away from you? 
family is dispossessed of a place to live? And, and for what reason? You know, they, they paint him as, oh, well, he was this dangerous, you know, domestic terrorist. But uh, the reality is, and I think Ammon has done a very good job, along with Diego, of showing that the state, starting with the Idaho Department of Health and Welfare, at the behest of St. Luke's and the doctor who was treating uh, baby Cyrus, and the police and, and then St. Luke's, you know, further on down the line trying to defend itself, they all were in the wrong. Yet none of them have the courage or the, the moral character to admit we made a mistake here. I mean, they try to play it off. And, of course, the, the press is very sycophantic. And, well, you know, that baby was starving. The doctor said he looked like a child from Haiti. Well, if that was true, then why is that same doctor seen on a police officer's body cam this was given in discovery. This, this is information that was, was found out in discovery when Ammon was tried for trespassing on St. Luke's property. She's telling that, that police officer, no, we, we're ready. we have a family ready to give him to tonight. You wouldn't do that if that baby was dying, if he was starving to death. They'd have him, you know, in ICU. They'd have him, you know, hooked up and, and uh, you know, doing everything they could to, to stabilize him. But they had a family ready to send him out. The only reason they couldn't is because there were protesters there at the hospital and they were worried that that family might be followed or that, uh, you know, there would be some kind of confrontation. Let's talk about a couple things here. Let's talk about the protest because there's some argument whether the protest was legit, you know, whether it was legitimate for the police to get involved in the protest because Ammon was protesting on a sidewalk that was owned by St. Luke's. And I don't know if that was ever true or not. That was argument people would use was that true or is that i don't know i don't know i know that when it when he was tried for the trespassing charge um he said i'll accept what the jury finds and the jury said well we find you guilty of trespassing and he said okay and he paid the fine actually he he was assigned i think a 1200 dollars fine someone stepped up at that moment that the trial ended and said god told me to pay this fine for you and ammon uh, St. Luke's wanted him to stay in, in jail. Well, we we're also going to sentence you to a week in jail. Ammon said, okay, we agree to that too. By the way, I already have at least a week's credit or even more because of time that I spent in jail, you know, waiting, you know, for trial or on, on other things. And the judge had to admit, yeah, that would count. St. Luke's was furious. They wanted, no, we want him in jail now. But he was like, sorry, I got credit for time served. And sorry to interrupt your jail party, Mr. You know, Mr. Eric Steidem, but uh, that's the way it goes. So let's talk about some of the corruption over there at St. Luke's, because this is not the only case. But let's during COVID, the CEO of St. Luke's made more in COVID than the previous CEO. Do you want to talk about some of the other corruption that's gone on at St. Luke's? I don't know of any particular, you know, accusations of corruption other than they took a lot of government money. They yes, definitely they, they definitely enacted very restrictive policies that it now turns out were entirely unnecessary. And, you know, I was impacted by those policies and that my mother's health required regular visits to the hospital. And, and St. Luke's was an absolute nightmare to visit because of mask requirements and so forth. Just, uh, and, and, you know, I've talked with employees, I've, the very employee who was castigating me for not putting on my mask admitted to me when we talked a few months later, we hated that policy. But it was, you know, handed down from the top down. So I I have those disagreements with them over their policies there. I don't know how much money they made on COVID. My main concern is because they looked bad 
the optics of them taking baby Cyrus at the behest of a doctor who got overzealous and got the police involved. And by the way, I think the Meridian Police Department, those officers involved are the absolute worst examples of law enforcement in America today. They lied. They threatened. They absolutely deceived. And and what they did was just as wicked as could be. And, of course, they shrugged it off as, you know, all heel clickers will do. I was just doing my job. They were wrong, though. And when the, when the optics were pointed out, that they said, look, here's why they were wrong. Ammon and Diego have both built a very strong case. This is probably why their websites are being taken down, because they, they had the actual body cam footage. They had the medical reports from the hospital to show that baby did not need to be taken from his mother. And the fact that he was given back within just a few days, that no charges were filed against his mother or his father, is pretty solid evidence that there was no wrongdoing. There was no neglect on their part. It was when Ammon and the baby's grandfather, Diego, started speaking up about St. Luke's, you know, digging their heels in and, and defending them and trying to portray them as, well, they were terrorizing the doctors and terrorizing the patients. That's when they started looking bad in the court of public opinion, and that's when St. Luke's came after Diego and Ammon, wanting to shut them up, and, uh, you know, hell hath no fury like the lawyer of a hospital CEO scorned. Now, why do you think uh, Dr. Aaron Dykstrom called CPS in the first place? Was was it? And like I said, folks, you got to go to episode three to really catch up on this, because if you're catching this now, you're going to say that we're vague. Go to episode three, the medical kidnapping of baby, baby Cyrus, then come back here and you'll be much more informed and you can listen to this. But why do you think the doctor chose to call CPS when Marissa, the mother Baby Cyrus said that she was sick and they'd come in Monday. Was it a power trip that he was on, probably? It's. I, I thought it was Dr. Erica. I was thinking it was a female doctor who who had uh, made that initial call. And my understanding is, and, and again, my understanding could be incomplete here, but the records seem to show that she was concerned because the the child's parents did not follow her exact instructions on on the matter. They had gone to St. Luke's. They they were not neglecting this baby. They had gone to the hospital looking for help with what's actually a somewhat common ailment in children as they transition from breast milk to solid food. He was having trouble and would would uh, cyclically violently throw up, you know, because he he couldn't handle certain proteins. And it it wasn't a matter of, you know, he they they were neglecting him and trying to hide it from the hospital. But the doctor in her notes, and this is before the police had been called, made a special reference to, well, this family is friends with Ammon Bundy, who is running for governor. Now, I don't know what that means, but isn't that curious that she would include that in her medical notes? And what does that say about her mindset regarding, well, you know, these guys are, you know, part and parcel with Ammon Bundy. It seems to me that there, there's some kind of bias that, that went into the idea to let's get the state involved and pull the trigger by calling the police and Department of Health and Welfare on this. Yeah, sounds like she had an agenda. Uh, oh, well, you and, know what? And, I and, think and, it was Aaron Dykstrom was the nurse. That's right. Aaron Dykstrom was the nurse. My understanding is he's the one that called CPS, is my understanding, is what Diego Rodriguez said in a YouTube video, a Zoom conference that I was on. It's it's interesting too to note that the but, uh, the hospital itself and and the the administrator are very strong supporters of many of the incumbent 
politicians, including Governor Brad Little. And Ammon made a much stronger than expected showing in the gubernatorial race in 2022. Yeah, 17%. I'm just speculating here, so this is not like a, this is gospel, but isn't it curious that uh, that people who are very connected politically to St. Luke's, you know, are are among those that that would like to see Ammon, you know, taken out of the equation or otherwise limited in his ability to to influence politics in the state of Idaho. I I'm not saying yes, you know, of course they did it at the governor's behest. I'm just saying the ties are there, and it's reasonable to question why. They would go after him with with such, you know, such determination to to do this guy in financially or otherwise, if not to to stop him from threatening, you know, their their racket. Well, you bring up a very good point, because even if you interact with someone, you could be on a list. Case in point, Sam Bushman. Sam Bushman, for those of you that don't know, does a podcast called Liberty Roundtable. And Sam Bushman has interviewed some people on January 6th, including Stuart Rhodes, who was trying to keep the peace on January 6th. And, of course, Sam is good friends with the Bundy family, particularly Ammon. Now, the last we checked, and I'll put a, there's a link in the show notes. He, last time I heard, was on a domestic terrorist list as of December 6th. Isn't that interesting? Let me be the first to congratulate him. <laughs> Frankly, I honestly, Kevin, if, if I'm not on a list somewhere, I would be very disappointed because I would feel like I have wasted my time all these years trying to speak the truth about why freedom matters and why we have to stand up to tyranny, even when it's painful or uncomfortable to do so. So if Sam is on a list, Sam, good job. That means you're having impact. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm sure I'm on a list somewhere. Uh, don't get any ideas, folks, but I'm sure I'm sure we're all on a list somewhere, don't you think? It does seem like there are some people who are pretty intent on making lists, but uh, look, I'm less concerned about what they think and more concerned about I want to publish freedom and publish, you know, what, what are sound principles associated with the principles and practices of freedom every chance I get. And if, if there's risk in that, well, it's been that way as, as long as, there's, as, as there have been people. The names and faces change. Human nature doesn't change. And and some people are very opposed to freedom. And, and we're just seeing them able to operate more openly today than we've seen in the past. Well, yeah. And the problem is, is uh, we're, we're going to get a little bit into the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints. Full disclosure, we're both members. We're not trying to convert anybody. But it's interesting that Dallin H. Oaks talked about in October 2020 to obey the laws of the land. Now, I agree that we should, but at what point do you act civilly disobedient? During that whole talk, I couldn't help but think, I wonder what Dallin H. Oaks thinks of the Bundy family. And, uh, you know, I don't know where to draw this line between civil disobedience and not because there are some laws i would rather keep just to keep myself out of trouble like paying taxes and things like that no understood i've been criticized too for well if you believe this how come you still pay your taxes and my answer is because it's a lot easier to continue to be a voice for freedom outside of a jail cell 
Absolutely. So I'm doing it under duress. And yes, there is a gun pointed at my back if I don't pay my taxes. But, you know, there there are other places, though, where I where I absolutely would draw the line. And and I just I know people look at, well, keeping the law, you know, that's that's a very important thing. I think that uh, Dallin Oaks would, would agree with me that uh, when you look at, for instance, say Anne Frank, the young Jewish girl who was hidden yes. in the attic of a home, you know, in, in the um, in the Netherlands and you know, was was later discovered by the Nazis and, and she and her family in prison. And I think all but one of them died. The people who were hunting for her and the people who turned her in were law-abiding people. They were following the law. The people who hid her and she and her family were lawbreakers. Which one was in the right? Well, I would say that the lawbreakers. I would case. too. Yep. The, the point being, legal and illegal are not reliable measures of what is right and what is wrong. You know, and uh, you can yeah. you can take this you can take this to, to any number of situations. It doesn't have to be something as dire as life and death. Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat to a guy on the bus. Technically, legally, she should have done it, but she didn't. Who was in the right? The guy demanding that she give up her seat, or was she in the right for asserting that I have the same value as you as a human being? So there's unjust laws. I think those things need to be resisted. Um, and I'm not saying violently resisted. I, I would no. start with, you know, civil disobedience. But I also understand that the Second Amendment is there for a reason. And there comes a point where, where people have to have the moral clarity to know when it's time to say enough. That's what the founding generation had that I think we struggle with. They had moral clarity as to when it was time to appeal to God, as they did in the Declaration of Independence, and to assert themselves, which they did by declaring their independence from Britain. And then when Britain came after them with guns blazing, they were justified in taking up their own arms to defend themselves. Well, yes. And back to the Bundys, as far as obeying the law of the land, name me one thing the Bundys were found guilty of. Nothing. Yeah. And I, I'm talking about specifically the Bundy Ranch issue and uh, going to the building, the Malheur Rifle Refuge in Burns, Oregon, or just outside of Burns there. And, you know, you we could sit here and debate, well, should the should Ammon and company done that? But the bottom line which, is Which is a fair question. It it's is. a fair question. Well, is there and I've I've asked you asked him that question myself. Same with Bundy Ranch, you know, same with the Malheur Wildlife Refuge. Could you have done it differently? Do you wish you had done it differently? And the answer that I've always received has been some variation of, I wish things could have gone differently, but it had to go the way that it did. And, and here's what I understand. That's not a guy justifying anything I do is right. That's a guy who's pointing out the painful truth that there is no socially acceptable way to stand up for your freedom when there are people determined to take it from you. There's never going to be a way that they'll go, oh, oh, you're right. I see your point. Yes, you go ahead and be free. They're always going to portray you as some kind of a terrorist, a thug, or a threat. Yes, absolutely. And what I, I guess, okay, none of us know where Ammon is. Uh, he just relocated, and there's good reason we don't know. But I guess the best thing you and I can do right now is keep him in your prayers, and Diego Rodriguez, for that matter. And I'm sure yeah. Ammon's siblings are affected by this, too. I'm sure they are. I'm actually going to have a chance to talk with Ryan, hopefully uh, 
if not tomorrow, then a week from tomorrow. Um, I'll, I'll hopefully be jumping on a Zoom call with him and a couple of other friends. But um, look, all I would ask is, I know the name Bundy makes a lot of people's knee jerk, like, oh, those guys, you know, and they, they think they know all about them. But I just would ask you, if everything you know about the Bundy family, whether it's Ammon or Cliven or whomever, if it came from someone else, if it's what somebody else told you, well, I saw it in a, an article or I, I saw it on TV or I read it somewhere, you need to at least admit the possibility that maybe it's not true. And that includes even what I'm telling you. I'm saying if you really want to know, you need to go to the source. Do, do you know who Lindsay Hansen Park is? Have you ever heard of her? I have. Okay. She had some questions after the Bundys were uh, acquitted or actually after their case was dismissed, she had some questions. And so she took the time to go to Bunkerville and actually spend a couple of days with the Bundy family. And she came away from the, she's, I would not, uh, I would not categorize Lindsay as, as a right wing, you know, conservative firebrand. Oh, gosh, no, no, no she's, uh -uh. she's, she leans pretty hard to the left, but oh, I have yeah. to, I have to applaud her fairness and, and her integrity in going to talk to them because she came back and she said, there has been a terrible injustice done to this family. They've been portrayed as this one-dimensional cartoon character, and it doesn't even begin to describe who they are. Now, that doesn't mean that she was suddenly marching in lockstep with them on every issue. And she had some very pointed questions for Ryan Bundy and, and his wife. But she came away saying they are not the monsters that we were told they were. And it was interesting because her own audience, her own followers, kind of turned on her. How dare you not toe the line? And... It just shows you that mind virus can can persuade people. You have to think in enemy-driven terms. You know, if, if someone is portrayed as an enemy, you know, you don't want to question that. I'm saying me, question it. Go to the source if you can and ask them yourself. I want to talk about that for a little bit. First of all, is Lindsay Hansen Park's article still out there or did it get taken down or what? Because I know she got a lot of, is that still there on the internet somewhere? I don't know if it is or not. Okay. I, I, it's been, it's been a few years. Okay. It's been yeah, what, it six years or so. Yeah. And so I, I couldn't tell you, I actually did an interview with her uh, about that time. And I, again, I thought she oh. was very fair. I mean, I don't, I don't mind that someone has, you know, differing, you know, viewpoints. In fact, um, even if it's really wildly differing, if they are willing to at least be fair in their representation of what others are about. And I felt like she was actually giving the Bundys a fair shake. I wish yeah. more people would at least take that approach of, well, you know, this is what I've heard, but I'm curious if it's true. Because most people that I know who have actually taken the time and, and gone to the trouble of going to the source come away with a much different impression. They may not agree, but at least they'll recognize how they've been lied to or deceived into believing you know, that, that the Bundys are, are something that, that they're clearly not. Well, let me say something to that effect. In 2020, Ammon was arrested. He was at the Capitol building trying to take notes about what was going on. There was a meeting that the Idaho legislature had about reopening the state. And, and it, was also, it was also about giving themselves immunity for the things that they had imposed on the public in the the name of covid and that's one of their and they and they did not want that meeting open to the public they did not want people to see that they were you know trying to basically cover their butts in the dark yeah so what ammon did and this is this is my point here 
What I saw on Fox News, of all places, is they just showed Ammon sitting in a chair, and they handcuffed him. It was one of those chairs with chains underneath it. Mm -hmm. And so they handcuffed him and willed him off to jail. Well, me, knowing the Bundys personally, I went to the source. I, I can't remember. It may have been freedomman.org. I can't remember which blog I went to, but I went to a blog that was associated with a friend of Ammon's, at least. And it gave the whole story. It talked about how they weren't allowing citizen journalists in and how Ammon went to the front and refused to leave because all the citizen journalists were asked to leave. And that's when all the trouble started. Well, I wasn't told that on Fox News. I wasn't told that on any other media outlet. So, yes, Brian's right. Go to the source. That includes, if I say something, go go look it up yourself. Yep, it's it's extra work. It takes extra effort, but the the benefit of doing so is you are not at the mercy of someone else to to tell you what to think. You can actually make your own decisions and and learn to trust your own judgment. And look, I I know that uh, standing up for for freedom in any way is going to be controversial. That's just the nature of of how things are. But I also want to point out that every time that Ammon has stood up and found himself sitting in a jail cell for doing so, every single time it has been for someone else. There is no angle that he was trying to work to personally benefit from it. And I think that that speaks a lot for what he was willing to do for others and how he was willing to suffer for other people, you know, when when lesser people just, you know, couldn't be bothered. Absolutely. Well, is there anything else that you want to talk about? Anything else you want to update us on? No, I do appreciate you letting me... Uh, you know, hold forth here and, and share this with uh, with you and with your listeners. Kevin, I know you're doing your best to, to keep the truth out there. And I'm grateful that there are voices like yours that are willing to ask the hard questions and, and, uh, and tread on that uncomfortable ground where a lot of people just don't want to go. Brian, I do want to let you know this. You have an open invitation to come on my podcast. If you ever want to come on, just call me or text me. Say, I want to come on. Here's why. I'll schedule you in. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. You bet. I'll talk to you later. Thank you for listening to the Rocky Mountain Freedom Zone podcast. If you'd like to follow the podcast on Facebook, just do a search on Rocky Mountain Freedom Zone and the Facebook page will pop right up. If you want to follow the podcast on X, Gitter, and True Social, just do a search for at RKY Freedom Zone. That's at RKY Freedom Zone. Don't forget to use our new hashtag when commenting on a podcast that I have put up or something that I've written on social media. Just use hashtag RKY Freedom. That's hashtag RKY Freedom. If you'd like to make a suggestion for the podcast, or perhaps you have a guest you think I should interview, please email me, Rocky Mountain Freedom Zone at protonmail.com. That's Rocky Mountain Freedom Zone at P R O T O N M A I L.com. I'm Kevin Williams, and thanks for listening to the Rocky Mountain Freedom Zone podcast.